the hair. You'll find out the deal with the hair at the end, so stay tuned. I've spent all my life being known as the woman with the hair. Hey, you with the hair. It's the thing that stands out. But anyway, stay tuned till the end. Um, how many of you still make New Year's resolutions? Okay. There's a few of you still do. Sometimes we go through, I don't know if you're like me. There's some years you do and some years you don't. And I find myself in this cycle. A low bout Thanksgiving when Christmas decorations start coming out. I, my heart just sinks. Not because I don't like Christmas, but because the holiday season reminds me of two things. Uh, for some reason, be they true or false, I, I'm not, that's, that's regards to whether they're, they're truth value. It reminds me that um, of my failures. But it also reminds me that the year is coming to a close and I feel like nothing has changed. I feel like the things that I set out to do in January didn't happen. And then, so up until Christmas, and then at, between Christmas and New Year's, there's this, there's this, I build up this dogged determination, this year's going to be different. I start, I find a, a new journal, somehow a new journal, something different will be exactly what I need, be the cure-all, the panacea, the answer to why nothing got accomplished the previous year. So I set out that whole week between Christmas and New Year's, building up my determination, my optimism. I'm generally an optimist, ready to start the new year, ready to get going, and I'm going to accomplish. And then Christmas rolls around, and the cycle repeats itself. I love Facebook memories, and sometimes, sometimes I look back on some of the things, sometimes like I actually believed that and posted it publicly. What was I thinking? Other times I'm like, wow, I'm impressed. I didn't know I could think of anything like that. But at Christmas time, all the Christmas memories remind me that last year this time, I was struggling with the same thing that I'm struggling with this year. That that same mountain that I thought that I was going to conquer in January, I'm still going around it. You know, we talk about, the song was saying about that mountain thrown to the sea. That verse is found in Mark 11. And in the midst of, that's in the midst of a passage where Jesus is talking about the temple. To the Israelites, the mountains symbol, there were two mountains. There was Mount Sinai, and they're looking forward to Mount Sinai. So if you look at that passage in Mark, there he's talking about Mount Sinai. What did Mount Sinai represent to them? It represented to them their identity, who they were as a people, their person, their relationship to their God, their history. Everything inside them was connected to that mountain. How many mountains do you have that your identity is tied up into? I got this one mountain that, unfortunately, I'm trying to remove the tentacles from my identity of this mountain, not to mix metaphors. So I've got this mountain that I keep going around every year, and, and it contributes to, to a depression. But I also, this year, unlike most years, I had another contributing factor to this depression. It was probably the worst I've had for a number of years. I don't typically wrestle with depression, and when I do, it just takes me just out of commission because I don't know what to do with it. What does an optimist do when they're depressed? I don't know. But, you know, the mountain represented my identity and what I couldn't do. But this other area, the enemy was attacking me, was in an area that I thought I can do. It was in an area of my ability. We always have a hard time saying that I can do this. Get over it. If God has placed in you a gift, just say, hey, I can do this. 
Okay? In October, I was commissioned as a five-fold teacher, and I was instantly inundated with doubts as to whether I really could do this. To the point that I told my husband and I called Tim, I'm thinking I might get off the leadership team because I don't know if I can really do this. And if this is what I, I don't... I felt fake, and authenticity is one of my core values. If you're going to get the real me, like it or not. So I, I felt fake, and I felt like I can't... And I'm not going to defraud anybody. So I actually put it in my calendar, the date that I was going to decide by. But that's all past, and I'm, I'm not. So we don't worry about that. But it was because of what the Lord spoke to me. So it can be... in The, the mountain that we're going around could be in the area of our ability. Or it could be... No, Sorry. In the area of our weaknesses, it could be the mountains that we have tied our identity to. Or the enemy can attack us this year in the area that we thought we could do. We, we, we felt like it was something God had given us to do, and the enemy was wanting to say, who do you really think you are? Still related to our identity. Um, so New Year's was fast approaching. I felt like I hadn't accomplished anything the past year. I wasn't sure whether this new year was going to bring anything different. I didn't, if, if I hadn't accomplished anything last year, what makes me think I'm going to accomplish something this year? But anyway, have you been there? You know what? Am I, am I the only one up here? Probably not. I'm, one of my core beliefs is if I'm experiencing it, somebody else has. Somebody else, oh, it's, I'm losing it. I'm not worried about that. Somebody else has, somebody else is, and somebody else will. So, one of the most amazing aspects of the kingdom is that God desires to work with us. It's called synergism. Me and God. You and God. Working together. Occasionally, occasionally God will fight your battles for you. Occasionally he will remove the mountain for you. But most of the time he's going to fight with you. Most of the time he's going to give you, he gives, he's going to help you level the mountain. He's already given you the authority to do that. There are things that he's asked you to do, things he's placed inside of you, dreams that he's given you, potential that's waiting to be unleashed, things that he wants you to do that you can't do without him and he won't do without you. So this year, think of it as a year of potential. Now, I want you, there, there are two tracks I could take here. I could take tracks in these New Year's resolution and goals, and you can think of it that way. In one way, we all have goals we want to lose weight or we want to study our Bible more or we want to, whatever. But I also want you to be in your brain thinking about what kind of a year you want to have with God. What, kind of, what, what do you want to do with God this year and the potential that's there? Um, Soren Kierkegaard has this quote that I came across and he's talking about, anyway, if I could wish for anything, it wouldn't be wealth or power. It would be the passionate sense of the potential. An eye that sees the possible. Pleasure disappoints, but potential, possibility, never. And what wine is so sparkling, so fragrant, so intoxicating as possibility? And that's one of the things that, for me, fills me with excitement when the new year starts. And somehow the wine has lost its taste by the end of the year. Possibility. We're open to possibility. That God has things he wants to do with you, with me. He won't do on his own, but he needs your willingness to do it. Anything that God does in creation, Gotha, I don't know how to pronounce his name, tells us that concerning all acts of initiative and creation, 
there is one elementary truth. When one person definitely commits themselves, then providence moves too. When I am fully committed that this mountain is going to move, this mountain that has become my identity, this mountain that's been there year after year that I've gone around, when I definitely commit to it moving, providence moves on my behalf. When I stand up here, when I say, all right, fine, you've, I've been commissioned to teach, I'm going to do it. I don't feel very adequate. I feel very overwhelmed. The weight of it pulls me down sometimes. But you know what? I'm going to do what I can do to become the best teacher I can be. And God will act on my behalf. There are times that he wants you, he puts somebody on your mind. You're going through the store and you think you ought to pray for the clerk. When you definitely commit to taking risks... Stepping out of your comfort zone, providence will act with you. So I want to challenge us this year to allow that synergistic effort to happen, to change your year. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given everything we need to accomplish what he puts in our hearts to accomplish. So back to my depression and how I snapped out of it. I was sitting, sat down to my devotions one morning. I was... Uh, doing a, a Advent by N.T. Wright, A Journey of the Apostles. So it was excerpts from the Apostles' writings. And I'm going to confess to you, I sat down that morning very, feeling kind of, I had this, this, sense, this sense as I sat down, like I was going to be stood up. Never been stood up, at least in, in real life before. But I felt like I'm going to sit down in these devotions and God's not going to show up. I felt like a jilted lover who was going to sit down and I'm going to be stood up. But I wasn't. Something fantastic happened. I was reading this verse in Hebrews. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Tom Wright then described a distance race that was commonly held at the university he attended. It was over steep, difficult grounds, about 10 miles long. They had practiced it. He'd run it a couple times. But the day of the race, something was different. When he rounded that last bend, that last half mile or so, there were throngs of people lining the streets, cheering them on, encouraging them. And when I, when I pictured that, when I pictured that scene in my mind, I saw Paul standing there. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is one of my heroes. I'm tempered like Peter. I'm going to jump out of the boat, dive into the water before anybody's even had a chance. How many, I asked my husband how many times. There was one time we were by a pool and somebody said, hey, Jared's drowning. I hit the water before anybody even knew. I jumped out of my chair, hit the water. And as I hit the water, I thought, that wasn't Jared. He was over here. But anyway, I'm, I have the personality that Danny Silk describes as a ready, fire, aim. Oh, I'm sorry. So I'm tempered like Peter. But Paul, Paul is a phenomenal teacher. Paul can connect obscure Old Testament passages and, and in a sense, rework them for a new covenant, new, test, new reality, truth. That, that hit home that spoke. He would take symbols and stuff in the Old Testament that was part of Israel's history and make it come alive in a new way, teaching them new covenant truths. And he, could, he knew secular literature and history. 
that he could pull. It didn't matter what he had at his disposal. He could pull from it to teach what he wanted to teach, to communicate, to articulate. Paul's my hero. So I'm reading this verse and I'm picturing this. And Paul is in that crowd. He's not just standing there. He's encouraging me. And I got this sense that Paul was saying, I believe in you. That he wanted his ceiling to be my floor. Who are your heroes? We all have different areas of gifts. Paul might not be your hero. You might have other heroes. Smith Wigglesworth is a hero. John G. Lake. There are are lots of heroes that we, we read about and we want to become just like that person. That person is in your crowd cheering you on. They believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And they want their ceiling to become your floor. We all have Jesus in our, in our throng. Jesus said in John 14 that anyone who believes in me will do the works that I do and even greater works, his ceiling, your floor. Saying, I believe in you. I've equipped you. So we have this huge crowd of witnesses surrounding us and in that crowd are your personal heroes believing in you, cheering you on. So now we need to throw off everything that hinders so we're going to talk about some things that hinders. When we make resolutions, what we often do is we decide what we're going to do. Okay? I'm going to get more disciplined. That's usually my typical resolution. Impulse and more discipline. I haven't figured out how to fit them together. The impulsivity. Anyway. But someday I will. But we, what we do is we decide what we're going to do. But we don't realize we have inside of our brains and in our psyche already constructed system that guides our decision making. So we, if, we don't, if, if we don't take care of the why behind the what, we can, we can list all the what's and not gonna, we're not going to get anywhere. We need to get, what, what were the things that undergirded my failures last year? What, what belief system undergirded to keep me, to hinder me from achieving what I wanted to? What belief system was in my mind that kept me from taking that mountain down last year? This belief system, depending on who you're talking to, um, it has various components. One of them is our core values. I'm not going to talk about that too much today, but I would encourage you to spend some time praying about seeking God on what your core values are. There are times we make resolutions that don't line up at all with our core values. And they conflict with our core values, what's really, really important to us. We might set out thinking we want to make a million dollars. But nobody's core value is earning more money. Earning more money is part of another core value or a need. I need significance, and I've equated money with significance, or I've equated success with more money. So we can set out to make goals. Same with losing weight. Okay, I want to lose 40 pounds this year. So it, does, it, does it line up with my core values? That's a weird one to think about because nobody has a core value of being... My core value, though, is chocolate is really good. So that interferes with... Anyway, we also have beliefs that we believe, that we don't even realize we believe. This is one of the things about Sosa that kind of gets to those beliefs. But those beliefs are formed by references. I'm, I'm going to go more in detail with this. We also have habitual questions that we ask. 
Often, if they're the wrong questions, they're going to form beliefs that keep us, that hinder us. And we have emotional states. Any one of these can be changed. Change one of them, you'll change your life. Just one. If you choose this year that you're going to change one of those, your life next year, this year time next year, your life will be different. So I'm going to talk about beliefs, references, a little bit about questions this year, tonight, today. Okay? So um, I want to challenge you to consider that beliefs, not circumstances or, or events, control our destiny, determine our destiny. Tony Robbins in his book, Awaken the, the Giant Within. If you ever get a chance to listen to Tony Robbins, this is a good time of year to listen to Tony Robbins. But he says it's never the environment, it's never the events of our lives, but the meaning we attach to them, how we interpret them, that shapes who we are today and who we'll become tomorrow. Beliefs separate a Mozart from a Manson. Beliefs are what cause some to become heroes and others to live lives of quiet desperation. It's your beliefs. Now, you might say, wait a minute here. Our, our circumstances play a lot. It still comes down to what you think about those circumstances. Two mothers can lose a child and one will abandon their faith and one will go stronger in their faith. Two sons can be raised by the same alcoholic absent father and the one will become a success and be a good family man and the other will become an alcoholic who's in and out of jail because of their perception. Because of, and both of them will say, well, how could I help it? It was with the dad I had. It was because of the beliefs that they form because of their environment. I see this in, in Sozo's frequently. And I see it in the lives of people. Same circumstances, same events, different outcome. So your beliefs do. Um, I want to give you a personal example. I believe in my head, and to some degree in my heart, that, to a large degree in my heart really, that God wants to heal every person. That I believe it's his will to heal. I no longer question whether it's for today. I no longer question whether God wants to. But I'm afraid to risk praying for healing for someone because I'm afraid they're going to be disappointed. Why? Because my reference points have created doubts. Now, my reference points are the times that I've prayed and nobody was healed. The multiple times I've prayed for my husband's stomach issues and the pain to go and it doesn't go. The times that I've prayed, when we sat in the emergency room, prayed for Timothy's wrist, and it didn't get healed. When I prayed for people, and they don't get healed. Those have become my reference points that have formed my belief that I'm not sure he's going to heal. What if my reference points were the 6 o'clock evening that I was at A.I. DuPont, laid my head on my son's, my hand on my son's head and said, commanded everything to go back to where it was? What if that was my reference point? And he walked out of the hospital a week later, completely healed to the astonishment of every therapist, occupational speech, physical therapist, pediatrician, every doctor that saw him. What if that was my reference point? Rather than, what if my reference point was the time that I was with a friend of mine at a church and he was complaining about his ankle and I just laid hands on it, commanded the pain to go, and it left. I don't know why I choose the failures to become my reference points. I do the same thing with my mountain. I look at the areas that I've failed in. Rather than the areas I've succeeded in, the failures become my reference points, and I expect to fail again. And what you expect, you're gonna ha- that's what's going to happen. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Henry Ford said, if you think you can, you think you can't, you're right. So my reference points convince me that I can't. Then I'm setting myself up this year for failure.
Reference points are like table legs that our beliefs rest upon. The stronger the emotional intensity attached to the event, the stronger the leg. This is why parents have such huge capacity to give their kids good belief systems, to give their kids references that create truth. Understanding that for, a ch- for all of us, perception can be just as real as reality. You can be the best parent in the world, and, if you, and they can still have some weaknesses. still think that they need, that, that's why they'll reach for God. But if you, if you have a personal if you have an event, be it that, that's tied to some strong emotion, be it painful or pleasurable, that strong, that will create a table leg. That will create a strong reference point. It's what, in Inside Out, I don't know how many have seen Inside Out? See it. It's what creates core memories. There are certain memories that make up the psyche of the person, and there are core memories. And these memories that are tied with strong emotion. This is why, this is why when God encounters someone and speaks truth, it can destroy decades of lies. Because there's an emotional attachment there. And the greater the intimacy you have with a father, the greater power those, his truths have to affect you to change your life, to destroy wrong beliefs and build good ones, healthy ones. The questions you ask provide answers that then become reference points as well. And sometimes we simply ask the wrong questions. There was a Jew named Stanilevsky Lech. He was sent to a death camp and watched his entire family shot to death in front of his eyes. His entire time in that camp... Everybody else was asking, how can we survive this place? And he was asking, how can I escape this place? And he kept that question in his mind. And one day, he was working, and beside, just a few feet away from where he was working, was a truck where they were taking the bodies that had been killed in the, in the gas chamber. They stripped him of their clothes. They piled him in this, pickup, this back of this truck, naked. And his question was, I wonder... If that's my way of escape. So as the, at the end of the work day, he stripped, slipped behind the truck, slipped off all of his clothes and dove under that pile of dead bodies and stayed there and waited, hoping that nobody would notice one live body in the midst of all the dead ones. That evening later, when the, when the Germans came, they started the motor, took it outside the camp and dumped that hideous contents into the open grave and lek got up and ran 25 miles of freedom. He was asking questions. He was asking a different question than everybody else was asking. What questions are you asking? I have a, um, the second most common prophetic word I've ever received and the second most common affirmation or encouragement is about writing a book. And my common response is, I can't keep my mind on one thought long enough to make one cohesive theme for a book. How am I going to do that? But I'm asking really the wrong... Rather than asking myself, what do I have to offer that could be written? What I'm asking is, what else is there to write about? How can I write about just a hodgepodge of thoughts? So I'm asking the wrong questions and they've become a set of beliefs that have hindered me from pressing into this second most common prophetic word. I'll make myself vulnerable. That's one of my goals this year. There we go. So you can hold me accountable to it. All right. We also need to throw off fear. 
If there's one thing that keeps us from stepping out, if there's one thing that keeps us from changing, it's fear. Fear of rejection. Whoa, wait, wait, back. No, that's right. Fear of failure. Fear of mistakes. And fear of making a mess. Kids don't mind trying stuff if they're going to make a mess. And we get... A couple things that happen as we age. We stop asking questions and we get more and more afraid of failure, mistakes, and messes. We think that somehow by virtue of age, we should be able to do everything perfect the first time. Jonathan, good he's not here, he's my most, probably my, my most dramatic child. He has all the drama that most of the others didn't have. And the world is either coming to an end, the slightest little inconvenience, or the world is the greatest place ever. It's just one or the other. But when he starts something, there's times, you know, when you do something the first time, sometimes you have a degree of success. So he'll try to draw something that he's seen Christina draw or somebody, and he'll be like, I'm going to draw this. And he's not expecting much, and he likes the result. But the next time, he has a meltdown. Because I can't do it as good as Christina can. I'm never going to be able to draw. I'll never be able to do this. Oh, never, never, never. I'm never going to be able to do this. And I'm, either that or I'll ask him to do something. I'm only seven. I'm not 52 years old like you are. You're just asking too much of me. It's just this complete meltdown. You've only, yeah. Yes. So, but you know what? Don't we have similar reactions? I can't do it like somebody else can. I would pray for somebody, but I just don't pray like so-and-so does. I would pray for healing, but I don't see the success rate that somebody else sees. I'm only human after all. So we make all these, we say all these things, these fears keep us from, and things we say over ourselves because we're afraid of stepping out. There's a story about a mother it's, I don't think it's true. I looked it up. I don't trust anything on... Anyway, I don't know if it's true or not. I doubt that it's true. But, you know, the story of that mother who took her five-year-old to the piano concert. He was learning piano lessons. and So she thought she would encourage him and took him to this famous pianist concert. And somehow, she gets, he gets away from her. And she's sitting down to the concert without her son beside her. I don't, I don't know how she's sitting down and listening to the concert without her five-year-old son beside her. I don't know that happens. My kids get away from me, but by the time I sit down, they're usually with me. But she somehow, she looks up, the stage curtains part, and there's her five-year-old at the piano playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or Chopsticks or something. And this pianist comes out stage, motions to the crowd to be quiet, and then just tells the little boy, keep playing. And he adds a whole bunch of stuff and makes a beautiful masterpiece together. Do you suppose that that concert pianist, now you don't have to use your imagination because I don't think it's true, but if he was going to tell him to keep playing, would he say, you played a D and not a C? Chopsticks is written in the key of C. You don't really play that. Oh, you hit. Was, is he going to get over him, jump on him over every mistake he makes? No. He can cover it, for one thing. He can add to it. If the kid starts playing in the wrong key, he can just change his key, whatever. Because he can adapt to what the child's playing. And he wants to build faith in that child to become the pianist that he is. God's not worried about you making mistakes. You are. He can cover them, number one. He can counter anything that you do, which I take as hope for anything the evil the enemy throws my way. Whatever the enemy throws my way, God can counter it. But I can also use that as encouragement for mistakes I make. It's not going to ruin what he's going to do with this person. He loves that person far more than I do. Life is about inviting Christ's love to flow through us. 
even though we don't know how the chapter ends. Yeah, we're the least likely hands and feet Jesus could ever have chosen. But he chose us just the same. He wants to work with us. Do you know, there's, it's not a mistake that Paul put Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, between 12 and 14 that talk about the gifts, the importance of them, the actions. That's no mistake. For one, he wants to tell us, I think his primary purpose was probably say, you know, you can have all those things, but you don't have love, it's nothing. But you know what? It also lets, if accuracy were what God was all about, he would have put that in the middle. Love is still the most important thing, not accuracy. So if you give a prophetic word and it's off a little bit, were you loving the person? If you say, hey, I got, do, you, do you struggle with back problems? Not, no, I never have. Did you love the person? Just go with it. Well, how can I pray for you then? Love is the primary. Love is the support. Love is the main thing about the exercise of the gifts. Love is the thing about risking. Love is what he wants us to do. He wants us, we're going to do it imperfectly. He wants us to, I don't even know if I have that quote. It's reading, let me see if I can get it. In. He wants us to do, even if we're going to do it imperfectly, what Jesus modeled perfectly. We are his representatives. We are. You are. I am. We are his representatives here on earth. And so if we're, if we're loving, then that's what it is. And I would imagine that for most of us, that, that um, helps. We want to love people. It's our desire to love people. We don't want to just walk through life and not touch people, not, bump, not affect people. Nobody wants to get to the end of their life and say, well, I didn't love a person, a single person. Whew, that was... Nobody wants to get to the end of their life and say, I didn't have an impact on anybody. I don't know how I did that, but man, that felt, feels good. Nobody. People want to touch people. We want to love people. We want, Amen. whether we realize it or not. And sometimes our New Year's resolutions don't line up with that core belief that all of us have. That core value that we really want to make a difference. And it's all about love. And so what happens is we want to love people But if we don't step out and risk, our faith muscles atrophy. So we need to run with perseverance. This word run, um, in in other Greek literature, when it's used as a metaphor, it has the connotation of inviting peril. So it has the idea of risk. It's not just running this... Any race for me would be a risk. But I I don't run. I don't think people are crazy to run. But anyway... That's neither here nor there. But in a metaphorical sense, that is involving some risk. There are God-ordained possibilities, God-given passions, and God-sized dreams inside of you. And you have the choice to run, to risk, and go after them, joining hands with God and pursuing them. And, or, you can, or you have the choice to let them pass, pass you by. We all have faith. Faith comes as a seed. But risk is faith sprouted. That's, that faith is going to stay a seed unless you're willing to take a risk. Unless you're willing to step out and say, can I pray for you? And for some of us, this is the place where we have to risk. We're not ready to go out in the world and risk. And that's okay. You can, in your quiet time before you come, ask him if he has a word for somebody. If somebody comes to your mind, make it, just make it a point to step out and pray for somebody. Just here. I hope, my desire is that we cultivate this as a safe place to make messes, to make mistakes, to learn, to practice. 
At the end of our lives, our greatest regret is is that we've let those opportunities pass us by. You know what it's like to... um, I can't see that clock. There's a glare on it. You know what it's like to drive at night on a road you know, particularly Pennsylvania. I don't know why Pennsylvania doesn't have straight roads. I know there's mountains to go around and all, but 896, did it have to turn that many times to get from point A to point B? And then hills. All that. Now, if you were driving in through Pennsylvania and you didn't know the roads and you're used to east, west, north, south, just, you know, a grid, you're going to drive a whole lot slower because you don't know what's up ahead. But if you know it, you can anticipate it. You're going to make messes. You're going to start giving prophetic words. You're going to start stepping out for Jesus. And there's going to be times you're going to fall flat on your face. Is it going to derail you? Is it going to, is it going to launch you into the cornfield nearby? Thinking, I'm going to go back home where there's straight roads. Or are you going to anticipate the next turn? So you know what? This is part of learning to navigate this race, this walk. Take some risks for Jesus. It's going to be, it might be awkward. It will be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. But a lot of them are going to turn awesome somewhere in the middle of it. And for some reason, it doesn't take away the awkwardness of the next time. The worst risk is never taking a risk at all. The worst risk is this year. I start off this year determined that's me different, but I don't change anything, and I stay in my comfortable old patterns because I can't step out and I miss stepping into an extravagant but messy and uncertain new year, new journey. Making some messes far outweighs staying in the status quo. I don't know. For me, I, I'm not disappointed in my last year, but I am tired of going around that mountain and I'm tired of letting opportunities pass me by. So making you little messes and making some mistakes, the benefit of that far outweighs facing this feeling again next year. Getting to the end of the year and realizing this year has been the same as every other year because I haven't stepped out. The person might not get healed. Like I said, the words of knowledge might not be accurate, but that's okay. Only two things matter. Did that person feel valued in your interaction with them or the potential they carried? And did you attempt to love? That's all that really matters. Not your accuracy, not whether you were spot on, not whether you fumbled around with your words. None of that matters. It's whether you loved. And we don't always know whether breakthrough happened. Probably my most common feedback on Sozo's is a Sozo that I thought, ah, I don't know if anything happened, I really don't know. But I find out six months later that was a pivotal point in that person's life. You really don't know when you pray for someone. That shoulder you prayed for might not feel any better, but the next morning they wake up, the pain might be gone, it might never return, and you might never talk to that person again. Because you have no idea the power of your prayer. You have no idea if the breakthrough they needed happened a week after you prayed for them. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now this word, fixing our eyes, means to look away from everything else and look at one thing. Now I uh, don't like... Well, I remember being told, I think by my husband and my father, how to correct a car if it goes into a skid. I don't remember which one told me this, but they said, keep your road, keep your wheels parallel to the road. What? So I'm, I'm in a skid, 
And I'm thinking, where are my wheels facing? Um, wait a minute. Uh, okay, they're there. I don't know where my wheels are facing. <laughs> I've never gone into a skid, but I don't believe for one moment I'm going to be able to figure out whether those wheels are parallel to the road or not. <laughs> and I'm going to lose control. And then the, um, Tony Robbins, in his book, Wake the Giant Wind, gives me another analogy that makes a little bit more sense. He describes he was going to um, taking racing lessons. And his instructor would, would, could sit, would sit in the car with him and there was a button that they could push that would hydraulically lift one of the wheels off the track, causing them to go into a skid so that they would learn that they should focus on where you want to go. Well, that makes a whole lot more sense than keep your wheels parallel to the road. <laughs> focus on where you want to go. So he was doing this, he was racing along, cruising along, on the, and the instructor pushed a button, his car went into a skid, and what did he do? Your car is going into a skid. He's looking at the wall, because he's going to crash. He's terrified, this car is going to crash. The instructor grabs his head and forces him to look at the track. And when he forced him to look at the track, he automatically turned the steering wheel where his eyes went, and the wheels caught, and he broke out of his skid. Now, the next couple of times he do it on himself, he had to resist that fear of looking at the wall, I'm going to crash, and just make his eyes focus on the track ahead of him. Make his eyes focus on it so that he could, that he would correct. So we're, we're looking away from all else. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus, but not just Jesus. Go beyond just looking at Jesus. Look at what Jesus wants to do with you. Today, this week, this month, this year. And then resist the fear to pull away. Resist the, the, the fear to look at the wall. The possibility of failure, rejection, mistakes. Resist that fear and keep your eyes on where he wants to go with you. And then your actions are going to take you in that direction. Eventually, you're, it's going to catch and you're going to head in that direction. And next year, this time, you're going to have had a very different year. A mind out of control will play tricks on you. It was my mind out of control, affected by my emotions and my depression, that convinced me that I would probably never teach again, except for the obligatory year that you fill a slot for a year, you know, because it needs a warm body to fill it. Until I heard Paul say, no, you're not. I believe in you. But when you direct your mind, it can be your greatest friend. See, it's your mind out of control that convinces you're going to crash, but it's your mind under control that focuses you on the road ahead. That's what metanoia is, repentance. It's changing your mind, changing your thinking. It takes time to renew your mind. I'm, I, you're gonna have to, there are some things that I tell, when we're done with Sozo, I encourage people, there are some of these truths that you've received here, they are instantly going to catch, and they'll be part of your life, and you'll never think the old way again. But there are some of these things, that, the truth he's given, that every day you're going to have to meditate on it. You've been driving in this rut for a long t- this track in a long time, and you're trying to pull yourself up, and your car is going to want to tr- slip into those ruts. So there are times that a truth, that a risk, that something we do changes in an instant, something in our belief system, and our life will never be the same. But there are other times we have to take control of our mind, focus, and meditate on what is actually true if, until, it, until it takes hold. Until. So I, until those things become reference points and your beliefs change. I did set some goals for this year. Some of them are practical. 
Some of them have to do with prophetic words that I've been given. And one is a theme that has to do with my haircut. Okay? This is, this is going to be my year of a thousand risks. I don't know if I'll get a thousand risks done. I'm a stay-at-home mom. But there's Facebook. And right now I'm in the midst of Code Purple. I mean, so I've got more opportunities now. So, you know, we have a tendency. We start this new year gung-ho. And lo, about February 4th, we forget. Oh, that's right. We, that's why most people, when they start to read the Bible through, they get to about Genesis 27. One year I decided I'm not starting Genesis. I've read Genesis every January. I'm going to start somewhere else. But so I decided I needed a way to remember. So every year when I wake up and I have head bed hair, I'm reminded that this is going to be a day filled with risk. I don't, I don't, I like my, I don't, I don't like my hair short. So it was a huge risk to cut off the hair that I've grown for 38 years. And so, and it's, I like it. It's just, I'm taking, and it's awkward. It feels really awkward. It feels different. It feels weird. But it's going to symbolize this year of a thousand risks. So what kind of year are you going to have, you and God together? You get to decide. Look at your belief system, your reference points. What mountain has become part of your identity that you you want to come down today, this year? Pray about your beliefs. What are the things you're believing that aren't true? What are the table legs undergirding your life? What kind of adventurous year do you want to have with Jesus? Pay attention to your questions. What questions are you asking yourself that are forming your, and your self-talk? Look away from everything else. Look away from all the messes you've made in the past and just fix your eyes on Jesus and what he wants to do with you this year. If you get knocked off course, it's okay. Just, you skid out of control, look at where you're going, you'll recorrect, it'll catch, and you're, you're going to keep going. The last thing you want to do is skid out of control and stay in a cornfield till next December. Your actions are going to follow. And risk, risk, and risk some more. They might, to you, seem like they're not risks when you look at other people's risks, but if they're a risk for you, they're a risk for you. It's not a risk for me to get on a two-year-old, two, two-wheel bike and ride. But it's a risk for a lot of four-year-olds. And that's, that's really an analogy for maturity. I don't, I don't mean it that way. For some people, it's not a risk to go skydiving. For me, that would be a risk. I may do it this year. That would, I don't know. I haven't worked up the courage yet. That would be a... But you have to step out of the safety of the boat you're in. The boat that you were in, the race marked out for you, not me, not Tim, not Brian, not anybody else. There's a race marked out for you, and you've got to step out of your comfort zone and walk in that race. It's the only way you're ever going to walk on water. Peter never would have walked on water had he not. We focus on the fact that he's sunk. Folks, how many of us would have stepped out of that boat even tried to walk on water? It's the only way that you're going to be able to leave the comfortable, unremarkable, old and step into the messy but extravagant and exciting walk with Jesus. And always remember that you're surrounded by an amazing crowd that believe in you probably more than you believe in yourself, whose ceiling is going to be your floor. And above all, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the adventure of life with Jesus. It has its ups and downs. It turns your stomach, has those 
what our kids call tickle bellies places, there's lots of things that are going to happen. But enjoy the ride this year. Um, I want to. That's all right. No problem. I didn't even think about it. Now we'll remember that the rooster. Trigger our memory. When we get the rooster quieted, we'll pray. We don't have to wait for the rooster quiet, so we can pray regardless. If we have to wait for a rooster to quiet in order to pray, our year is sunk before it started. It did. You couldn't figure it out. All right. Just. Well, I'm not going to worry about it. Lord, we thank you for interruptions, for things that make us feel uncomfortable, for things that just seem like it draws all the attention away from where we want to be. We thank you for those those interruptions. I thank you. I thank you that you have invited us into a relationship with you. That is exciting and not boring. I thank you that you want to do through us what we could never do, but that you won't do without us, that you want to partner with us, these weak, feeble hands and legs, that you want us to portray to the world your love. Would you strengthen us for the task? I ask that you would um, highlight in each person's mind the beliefs that they have that are hindering them and give them new truths to meditate on, to think on. I ask that you would remind us when we begin to ask the old questions again, the wrong questions, or when the self-talk begins that sabotages our efforts to step out in a new relationship with you. I claim the truth that Jesus spoke in Mark, that this mountain that we've had, that I have, that each person has, that has become so much a part of our identity, it's going to go. Would you highlight for us risks that you want us to take? Give us a little kick in the pants. Because what we all really want is to have lived a life with you. And we want to see miracles. We want to see you touch people through us. So give us the courage to risk. You've already given us the faith. I give us the courage to risk. 
I pray a blessing upon each person here as they walk out of here that this week, this month, this year will be a departure from the old, unremarkable, comfortable to the messy, new, extravagant, exciting adventure with you. In Jesus' name, amen.